everyone welcome back to define beauty where we're excited to have you with us as always yeah i'm Dee, Dee. and i'm kimber janes and today we also um have with us our guest um she'll be here on the entire episode with us brooke dearth hey brooke hey girl what up? we also have a special guest here today minnie minnie the puppers brooke's rescue pooch Oh, her tongue is all so cute. <laughs> so, Brooke is a really amazing woman, friend. Um, she's someone who's mentored, I think, all of us at Borboletta in our professional careers and in our personal lives. She's our VP of product, and she has a really cool story that... I think you guys are all going to love to hear. I do like to embarrass Brooke. One of my favorite things to say about her is her background comes from urban decay in product development. She actually is a developer of the Naked Palette. We have a celebrity. Team. <laughs> she yes. Wait, say that again. <laughs> it was after mine came one of a team. She was part of so the humble. team. Yes, very <laughs> humble. She was part of the team that developed the Naked Palette, which is the most universal makeup palette that we all own and love and have. For someone like me who really rarely ever wears eyeshadow, I still own a Naked Palette. So Brooke has been one of those women in my life who I've been able to come with any situation and ask her about it, and she always gives me the most genuine feedback and helps direct me um to go in the right direction and and a lot of the things that I've talked to Brooke about and opened up to her about she has helped me see from a more logical perspective and and being a woman in business I think it's rare to find another woman in business that can help navigate and guide you the way that that Brooke does that um for us here at Borboletta so not only is she an amazing product developer and so incredible at her job but she's really just one of those women that roots for other women and and wants to see them become their best and I've seen that firsthand so we're excited to have you on Brooke thank you that was a really generous introduction ditto hmm. <laughs> ditto from D. <laughs> it's a ditto that's a ditto from deeds <laughs> so we before we get into her interview with you Brooke we actually have something interesting that Didi and I always like to talk about kind of a trending topic going on and uh, something I feel like since the time of social media, especially Instagram, this has been something that that happens. Um, Photoshop, right? Yes. But um, it's a little bit more, I guess, being talked about a little bit more. Yeah. So I discovered this page on Instagram called Celeb Face, C-E-L-E-B-F-A-C-E. I think you have to request it, but basically what it does is it does a couple of things. It shows before and afters of celebrities who facetune or photoshop their photos, so you see the original and their version of it, and then it also shows their face super up close. I think it's super interesting, and so I wanted to have a discussion about it. Is there a place for photoshop? If so, where? My personal opinion, the kind of the beef I have, is when you have somebody like, um... Kendall Jenner, for example, she's already naturally beautiful. Then beyond that, she has access to nutritionists and fitness coaches to obtain like an even higher standard of beauty. And then maybe she has plastic surgery to obtain even a higher standard of beauty. And then still that's not enough. She might facetune her photos or Photoshop her photos a little bit. And my beef with that 
is when you have young girls who are following her and they don't realize everything that goes into that image that she portrays and then they're comparing themselves to her and thinking I'll never be like that or wanting to be like that and not understanding everything that's gone into it. I would say young girls and women in general. That's true. I, I would go outside. It's not just like 18 to 25 year olds. This is like every woman that follows Kendall Jenner. Like I follow Kendall Jenner and I think the same thing a lot of the times. And you know, I get it. These guys are commodities, they're products, it's their livelihood. But I also kind of just wonder if they couldn't balance out their social with more natural pics on the other side. If you're going to do some of that, then you have to post the opposite where you just got out of bed. Like Kristen Bell, right? You see photos of her all the time, just momming it up, makeup free. Yeah, you see her when she's glammed up on the red carpet, but you see the other. I just wonder if it would help people have more perspective if at least sometimes they saw these women when they were completely not just the fake naked face in bed or whatever but like a real og what you actually look like kind of photo i I just feel like there is some kind of responsibility there to show the other side if we're living in this world where they're competing with everybody else that's doing the same thing i get it they have to be competitive they have to be a product but they also could show to balance the scales a little bit they could show more realistic images on their page too i know but Just thinking out loud, it's not even like, oh, that's such a glam lifestyle. It's like her arm is so skinny. Right. When in reality, it's not even that skinny. It is super skinny. And it's because she's had access to amazing nutrition and amazing fitness or whatever. But at least show me like, you know, they have a bad day. Show me a pic when you're on your period. But maybe I'm just thinking out loud here. The responsibility is actually on us to become media literate and to teach everyone to become media literate so that they can look at that image and be like, that's not totally real. And so you can recognize it for what it is and not take it in as being a obtainable standard because at the end of the day, it's not an obtainable standard because it's not completely real. Yeah. And I really love Chrissy Teigen for this reason we're talking about exactly. She's very open about a lot of struggles that she's been through in the media ways that she's been attacked. Um, and she recently put out, I I think she tweeted it. Anyway, she said, no one's prettier than you on Instagram. They just have better apps than you. Did you guys (laughs) see that? (laughs) I love Chrissy, like just nailing it for what it is. Like she knows, and she's friends with, and of course has access to all these things that we're talking about. And she is a very beautiful woman, but I feel like she does a very good job of owning. Like I've had two kids I've been in the media for a long time. She's commented on her own insecurities about, I have a really round face and I make things work with it. And I I do appreciate that. It's not to say that she still doesn't facetune her pictures. I don't know. But um, even just a little bit more of of that and, and celebrities saying it like it is, I think is really cool and I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's like the Spider-Man saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. I think it would be amazing to see women in these positions of power and that do have great influence to embrace a more responsible role. But at the end of the day, it's up to us to, I think, educate ourselves and the people around us, maybe. And I think to teach young women and to teach each other that our visual isn't our only currency, as Amy Poehler talks about in her book, where it's like, she's like, I knew early on that that probably wasn't going to be my most valuable currency, so I didn't ever let it be. And like, 
I'm a person who didn't grow up in the era of, I don't even know how to use Facetune. I literally tried to use it once and I was like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> and I'll be the first to avoid a picture. Not, not because I have super low self-esteem, but just because I don't really care. Like, that's not my, I've never thought of that as my pri, like my primary currency. Like what's gotten me the most gains in my life has usually been my brain, like my ability to talk blue streak, my creativity, like whatever else other talents, like I've never like hinged my currency on that because well, for one thing, I don't feel like I ever had like the look where it's just universally like, oh, she's so beautiful. You're going to get so far <laughs> on that, you know, like that's just never really been something. With that jawline, but... Thanks, Kim. <laughs> I learned after starting here that I have a strong jawline. I've never thought so until Kim told me. So now I hold it up high. Perfect. I eat jawbreakers every night to strengthen it. It's the perfect jawline. But it's just, I feel like, yeah. I feel like today we're teaching people that that is your number one currency. If you have something else cool that's secondary, oh my gosh, Kim Kardashian wants to be a lawyer. (laughs) She doesn't need to do such a thing. Why would she, right? Like, she has such a valuable currency, but... I think it is a big responsibility comes into just like we should be valuing people based on their other traits, not just the way that they look. We should be encouraging our daughters to develop their other currencies in life and not making that feel like that's the very most valuable one. If you don't have it, then you should develop other things, you know? Yeah, I I love that, Brooke. And I think like a lot of us have seen Instagram, how it's changed pop culture and changed all of our lives personally. And I I think the same thing about my daughter and, and the effect that social media has had on me personally. I never want Scotty to have that pressure of social media. I always want to remind her that, you know, of course I think Scotty is just the most beautiful little person ever, but I always remember to tell Scotty that she is smart and she makes me laugh and she has an amazing personality. And then I'll always follow up with, and you're beautiful, Scotty. Like, you are. You're a beautiful baby. And and I think that will be an ongoing trend with her um, as she grows up. And the way that Craig and I would like to approach it with her is always reminding her that mentally she is so powerful and she can do anything. And whatever comes of that outside of it is amazing. But, um, yeah, I th- I, to your point, Brooke, I think, like, there's other things in our currency outside of our, our beauty. And I think we forget how valuable those things are because we are so focused on what the outer appearance is. I've also gotten really sucked into Facetune. Personally, I can say that a few years ago, I wouldn't allow myself to post an unFacetune photo, and it got so bad that like you could obviously tell the photo was Facetune. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll post it later <laughs> to show you I some. I love that. The Kim just ones. like ooh, find the Facetune. It looks like she's in like a wavy mirror. <laughs> Like my back is like clearly just sunk in and then the side of the building's bowing out. Um, But that I feel like to me, it was almost this addiction of like, I couldn't have anything online that wasn't showing this certain persona. Um, And even like people that we worked with at Borboletta were sucked into this as as well, where they would be face tuning a photo for me. And they would show it to me and they would be like, look at how much better I made you look and show you the before and after. But I say that because I think that happens more than we realize. And when you do look at a Facetune photo before and after, of course, that does something to you mentally. Yeah, even if you're doing it 
to yourself. Yes. And you're saying, wow, I look so much better. Can I ask you a question though, Kim? Where did that pressure come from that made you do it at first? Like, was it because, I mean, I've been with you and I've seen people pick about your photos on social, uh, the dumbest, craziest things I've ever heard. I'm like. Pick at it? Yeah. Like, like the knee? Comment. Okay. I didn't want to say the knee because I don't want to call it personal, but the knee, it was like. What's wrong with your knee? And I was like, Kate, I'm like standing with child. him right now. And like, I'm feeling like a troll just being next to her. And you're I looking was at her pregnant. Knee. Someone commented on Kim's Instagram post, what's wrong with your knee? And it was it literally was just, yeah, it was just a, a weird shadow or something. It was yeah. in its natural habitat. But like, did, Kim, do you feel like it was that like fear of like what, like, I'm just curious. Like, where's the fear that drives that need, that drove that need for you Cause I've never been in that position where that many people are judging my appearance. I'm just curious, like what, you know, what the logic, what, or not the logic, but the mindset behind it, where the fear that was driving you to be like, if I don't look perfect, then what, then what was going to happen that made you feel like you had to be that? Yeah. I think first of all, when Instagram very first came out, um, it was like this free for all of everybody was like, I can live this alter ego online and nobody knows who I am. So I got sucked into that. And so this goes back even further, Brooke. Where it was like, within the last year or so, I'd say maybe a year and a half, I actually started talking and telling people the true story about Borboletta. Because before, if you saw the social media presence of Borboletta, you would think it was just this company that blew up overnight in the lash industry. But then I started being okay with saying, hey guys, actually I, I started with no money. I got fired from a waitress job and then, you know, I sold lashes from the trunk of my car and then operated out of a condo and like struggled to really get into our first space. And like nothing about building this company has been easy. And I've been really transparent about that in the last, like I said, year and a half. And I think that's what social media did to me as a person. I think I saw everybody else around me that I was following that I looked up to on social media, celebrities like Didi was talking about influencers that I really wanted to be like. And I thought that that was how I could achieve that lifestyle was being just like them. They wake up. Didn't you couldn't compete? Yeah. Like they, I don't know what their struggles are. I don't know who they are. They, they look like they just blew up on social media overnight and And they're getting all this positive affirmation for it. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, they're just so perfect. Like they have the most amazing skin and hair and, and teeth and whatever. And I feel like I always had to compete with those women on social. And when I finally realized how just unhappy I was as a person, because all I was doing was obsessing about the perfection of everything. I have to face to my photo a perfect way. I have to comment on a perfect way. I have to have a caption the perfect way. Nobody can know about who I really am because that's embarrassing. I realized I was suppressing everything that was great about me. And I kind of all of a sudden just let go of that one day. Like it kind of happened overnight. And I was, I just said, I am who I am. My, like that will never change. And the person that I am on social media, I think other people can relate to more. Like Nobody needs to see me in a perfect setting because I, I never am in a perfect setting. So I need to stop pretending that I am. And when I started letting go of that, I felt like I could be the best version of myself. It was so weird how the tables turned all of a sudden. And I was fine with showing imperfections, non-facetuned photos, um, letting people know what it was really like to grow a business. 
And I, I think I just had to let go of the idea that I was never going to be this perfect influencer. Um, I was never going to be sincerely Jules, who I look up to so much. Um, I, I, I'm my own person and I needed to be okay with that. And I think that's where that all came from was the pressure of feeling like I needed to be like an influencer to be accepted and loved. How was the response? I feel like I've connected more with our industry mm-hmm. um, just by being honest about who I am. But even deeper than that, I've connected with myself because the person that I was trying to be was a person that I never was inside. And it was it's like competing with yourself. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way. Or like with your, you have like this third person that you're like thinking of. The person you thought you were supposed to be. Yeah. Outside person that almost feels like you have to keep up with that. Yes. And a persona is, it's like a product. It is like Mm -hmm. a different person. And I'm sure it's not easy when, like I've seen the way people interact with you and they're like, Kim, Kim, Kim's so glamorous, Kim's so beautiful, can I get my picture taken? Like, I have no idea what that kind of pressure is like. And that's why I wonder for a lot of these celebs. Like, literally, you are a walking commodity. Yeah. I, like, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. That, I am grateful that I've never had to do it. Like, I always just was like, I'm a Daria. I plan to be a Daria. <laughs> that is it. Like, I'm good with that. <laughs> because I feel like that pressure would just be so crushing because you can't really control that. Like, you can't control your body. You can't control the way you shoot on camera. Like, it is out of your control. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I've never thought about that perspective looking at when celebrities face you in their photos so much. I'm like, well, is it not enough to be so beautiful that you like can't even accept the way you look in a picture? Right. But the pressure that they face Ugh. to like uphold the image and even when they do face you and they do look perfect, I'm sure there's still people who comment and say something negative and people have talked about how even those negative yeah. comments even at that status still can like really bring you you're down. like in the tabloid and someone zeroes in on your one cellulite on your ass <laughs> and there's a whole freaking section yeah you know and we as the public we consume it because we're so happy that they're actually not perfect and like yes it's just this big crazy cycle i don't think anyone wakes up and is like I'm going to make my waist look tiny so that pregnant Brooke in Salt Lake City feels like absolute crap about herself. Like they, you know, it's supply and demand. Like yeah. we have made that product the most valuable product. And if Kim K, and we keep using her as an example, but if she makes her waist look two inches small, how much more can she get for her fit tea ads or, you yeah, know, so mm-hmm. it just sucks. Cause I feel like, you know, it's kind of a cycle. It's like mm-hmm. we demand it, but then someone's supplying it. Yeah. Who's really the guilty one? And what do you actually have influence over, you know? Absolutely. Like, Rafe was really looking at a Janae Aiko cover on Spotify, and she was, like, stepping out of the beach, and obviously she's, like, out of hand hot. And he was, like, looking at it, even a little tiny two-year-old. And I was like, oh, she's beautiful, isn't she? Remember, son, not every woman looks like that. <laughs> and then when Dolly Parton was on the screen, I was like, look at that woman, son. That's a real woman. You bring home a woman like that. <laughs> But we have influence over the Dolly people. Part. Yeah, Dolly Parton's not a, a real... I mean, she is she's a real not, woman. But, you know, like, she's... To she's me, definitely she's, had that... She's so, like, her own. She is. And this was also, like, an old picture. So she had, okay. like, Western jeans on. All right. But I feel like also she's a person who, like... She doesn't just... She's not just a pretty face. Like, she's a powerhouse. She's hilarious. She's super positive. She's done amazing work as, like... 
you know, an advocate for children that can't read. She's like, she changed the face of music. Yeah. And so I look at her as someone who's like, yeah, you know what? That's authentically her. Yeah. She's like a bouncy blonde, but she did. I, I mean, I would love a for bouncy her. Blonde. If Rafe decides to bring home a woman, I would love for her to be like Dolly Parton. I mean, if he I brings love home Dolly. a man, maybe like, hmm, Cory Booker. Oh, Cory Booker. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I'm into it. Or whatever he wants to bring home, you know? But that um, makes me think, do you guys, are you for or are you against someone facetuning Yeah, themselves? that's what I was going to say. Is there What's a the... place for facetuning? I have an opinion. Wait, well, yeah, you like make the share. final call. We need to give you a gavel. I've had pictures of myself <laughs> where something has like bothered me and I feel like it, because I don't think that pictures always represent reality. I've talked about this on, I think the first episode is I use pictures as a way to capture like a mood or a feeling and I think that a photo on your iPhone doesn't necessarily capture the colors the way that you see them or the mood that the way that you see them and maybe something's a little bit distorted like maybe the camera was closer to my arm so it looks a little bit bigger or something and I wouldn't ever want to get in the habit of constantly making my arm smaller or my nose smaller or my lips bigger or something like that to the point where I'm not satisfied with my reality but if I look at something and I think that's not quite what I look like, I maybe make a little adjustment. And so I feel like it actually like represents me. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's amazing. That's a very like, that's a bold move. But that's like, I think it, it shows that you have some, a strong sense of self. Well, yeah. And I was going to talk about this you too. You also have a lot of currency, Didi. Your, your physical Thank currency you. is definitely super valuable. Obviously, everybody's, like, obsessed with just Didi the pack, right? But, <laughs> like, oh, no. but there, it's, I feel like you do have all the other things to lean on, too. And that gives you, like, the confidence to be able to decide, I can give up that because I know I have this. And more people do that, then it starts to help all of us to feel more emboldened to do the same thing. Well, oh, thank you. That's very sweet. But even, for example, even when you're on Snapchat and you know when you're going through the face filters and you're Mm -hmm. looking at one that makes your eyes bigger and your lips bigger and your face skinnier and your skin smooth and then you accidentally like X out of it and then you're looking at your actual face and you're like, (laughs) oh, what? It's, do you know what I think? I think filters should do the opposite. They should make us look uglier <laughs> so then so when you don't have the filter it's like with a filter. real self we're like oh wait my eyes are actually really big yes. <laughs> but it I should be know. a personality filter like you talk to it for five minutes and then it makes your outside <laughs> reflect your inside yeah well that's what like makeup can hopefully do for you right that's right i think that's like when you have fun with makeup and fashion you're expressing your inner self Anyway, what do you guys think? Do you think that there is a place for Facetune and Photoshop? If so, where? My final ruling, it exists. I'm not here to fight against things that resist. And I hate to be an old timer that's like, I'm my day, why did You know, like, I don't really understand this Polaroids world. are so cool. I know Polaroids are back. <laughs> but like, um, you know, I'm not here to fight against the trends that are happening in like pop culture. And I don't really care. Like, it's not really my world, but... I think it's all about balancing the other side. That's my final ruling is like, if you're going to show yourself face tuned, show yourself truly makeup free. And I think it's up to us, the consumer to demand better, right? Because whatever we demand is what people will sell. So let's demand more Mindy Kaling. 
let's demand more, you know, Kristen Bell or whoever we think are showing the real, mm-hmm. real and using their heart and their mind to do better things. Like, I do think the consumer and the consumer dollars have the most voting power of anybody. Right. I heard that before. It's so. like your dollar speaks the loudest. And oh, maybe yeah. you can mm-hmm. put that into Instagram and say yes. what you like also speaks volumes. Who do you follow? Mm-hmm. What do you like? And, and because yeah. people do watch engagement. So if they're like, wow, this picture of me where that's super filtered and Facetune got way more likes than this picture of me with no makeup. Like, yeah. I'm not going to post more makeup. No makeup. I'm not going to post more no makeup photos because people don't people like, like that. Them. They don't yeah. want it. Yeah, Good call. You've got the gavel. What's I mean, the ruling? I feel like being someone who was overly obsessed with Facetune, going to somebody who doesn't even open up the Facetune app anymore. I've seen both sides of it. I really feel like I weigh in on Dee Dee's point where there's always a time where like maybe you weren't standing up as straight or like something on you physically didn't get portrayed in the right accurate way and that's where I feel like it's okay to edit or um facetune yourself but I don't think you need to take it to the extreme where you can't post something unless it's everything's facetune from your skin to your body to like every last bit of you I think there's just a balance and and I think when you start crossing over into the realm of you're no longer the like if you if you're representing somebody on social media that you're not in real life that's when you know you've crossed the line and I think that that's different for everybody um but I I think that social media should be an extension of who you are in real life and I just posted a quote recently on my social media from Jen Atkins and it said, um, be the person that you are on, like, be, be cooler than you are, um, in real life than you are on social media. And that really hit home to me. Like, I hope that anytime any of us interact and meet somebody, they look at us like, wow, like I follow her on social media because there's influence and style and motivation there. But meeting that person actually in person exceeded my expectations and I'm even more inspired and elevated. And I think that that goes to say like, don't be a disappointment, you know, that, so that's kind of where I land with it all. That's cool. So I feel like Brooke, you're one of those people that you always bring us back to reality. And a lot of times I feel like a lot of us don't live in a reality anymore, which is so weird because we have such access to social media that takes us out of it. But Brooke's one of those people that you've lived in so many diverse careers and you've been in so many different places in life. You've learned so much and you've brought all of that knowledge here to us at Borboletta. Like you're such a grounding person. And I feel like when I get like my head up in the clouds, you're always the person that's like, did you think about this? Did you think about that? (laughs) The dream killer? (laughs) You call it the dream killer. I call it... (laughs) She... You look you hopeful. Slash the air. You won't leave was that? Down. Were you holding an invisible sword when you did that? It was a hammer. A hammer. <laughs> Weapon of choice. <laughs> so obviously, Didi and I know how you came from urban decay to Borbaletta beauty. But for those who don't know that, can you bridge the gap for us? Yes. So I was at urban decay doing product development. And I absolutely loved it. One of the really cool things about our team there was we worked on every single thing from the ideation all the way to when it hit the shelf. So like 
the box, the shade label, the product story, the ingredients, the way it functioned, the shade work, everything. So I loved it because it was very all-inclusive that way. It was just super fun. Um, I was there for five years and I loved it, but I just kind of all of a sudden got that weird feeling after 15 years in California, out of nowhere, I wanted to come back home. And I think that can happen for people at a time in their life where you want to like migrate back to the source, sort of. And I never ever wanted to move back home ever in 15 years. It never even struck my mind. And then all of a sudden it just kind of consumed me where I was like, I want to move back to Salt Lake. And it took a year to convince my husband who was like, we would never move there. What are you talking about? <laughs> where is he from? He's from Atlanta. Okay. And he, oh, he was living in LA when I met him, but he was just like, why would we ever go back? But such an awesome, sweet man he is. He came back with me, but um, I wanted to get back home and I wanted to stay in cosmetics because it was at that point I kind of, I feel like at this point this is sort of beauty is where I'm going to be forever probably. Um, so I decided to move back home and one of my suppliers from Urban Decay who did a lot of our really pretty packaging was headquartered in Salt Lake. So when I decided to move they offered me a job as their creative director. So I did that for a while and then... And just for a lot of people that don't know, like, can you go into day in and day out what a creative director does or what you did when you were with Compax? Yeah, I think it was really different at Compax, the beauty supplier, beauty packaging supplier, than it is in its traditional form. We kind of just made, gave me that title as a catch-all. But um, I did do all the marketing and branding for us. Um, but I did a lot of business development, which was really fun for me, too, because... We would get to go to all these brands that I was a major fan of. And it was fun to be like, oh, okay, you know, let's say they would give us a brief where we need a new skincare collection. Here are the products. Here are the fill weights. And then we could come back and I would oversee the design so that we could then approach them with the design and be like, here's some ideas of where you could take this idea. And then we would actually go and engineer it and produce it for them. So that was probably my favorite part of that job. Like, I mean, half the time I was just like, okay, I'm a big fan of your brand. Just let's just talk about your brand. Let's just talk about your product. And then it's like, okay, how can we help you? Cause I was like that fan that just wanted to know who was behind it. What did they like? So it was super cool being an urban decay. Like we just eat, breathe and sleep urban decay. We were very much in the brand. You have to be You're like, that's your world. And some, so being able to be on the other side of it and be able to dip into all the other brands and see the people behind it and understand the founders and their, goals and their, the way that the brand came to be. I was just so incredibly inspired by that. It's like a beauty junkie just being surrounded by other beauty junkies was, and they're all, everyone is so cool in the industry. So I really liked that part of it. We all like, I feel like product developers speak their own little code. Yeah. I've noticed that <laughs> since working with you. What do you mm -hmm. mean? Like what? The way that we describe things is just different from how a consumer describes Just because it. like a Silky, consumer wouldn't understand milky. any of the, like, the technical dialect. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No. Like there's just, it's weird. It's definitely its own little language. Like Brooke describes everything in a very luxe factor. <laughs> and then when you're using the product, I can say this for one of our products that she's been developing for our new gel cleanser. Mm-hmm when you describe it like i i love the old gel cleanser because i developed it wait but, can we put this in yeah i think that i mean yeah, yeah. so <laughs> the cast out of the bag we're gonna have a new gel cleanser coming soon we're gonna have a whole new aftercare <laughs> line coming out soon okay 
Didi cannot believe that she got this little Didi's nugget. Eyes cannot believe her eyes. This well, just. I'm sorry. This is the first. We time. are usually very secretive. This too. is the first yeah. time that we're announcing it. So. Oh my goodness. That's exciting. So, Hold on to your hats. When, before Brooke, when I developed the the aftercare line, I didn't know all of the things like Brooke knows them, and I'm just kind of walking in blindly, and I'm like, here's the things that I know about cleansing the eye area. You know, and it was very textbook. When Brooke came in, she was like, okay, yeah, you have like a good baseline. Like I can work with this. And she took the gel cleanser to like the next level, which I think is really cool. And the way that she describes it now. And like, if you use the new gel cleanser, which most of you will get the chance to use it, uh, (laughs) it is everything the way Brooke describes it. So it's when you put it on, it's like gentle and cleansing and silky and your skin feels hydrated and it tells this whole story and like the current gel cleanser does all of all of that but like the gel cleanser that Brooke developed was like a next level like she took everything that your eye area needed and just folded it all into one gel cleanser and it's really magical and I think that's what I respect the most in a product developer so Obviously, me coming from a lash artist background, I feel like I knew what the lash industry needed, but I've never been a product developer. And so I didn't know what product development necessarily meant until I met Brooke. And you live this amazing past life of product development in so many areas, but I think the one that a lot of our listeners would find the most interesting is you were a huge part of the product development team at Urban Decay. And that, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but this is where you learned a lot of of what goes into your product is so meaningful and so important. And what I mean by that is so many people, you can just order something online and it's like, yeah, this eyeshadow is pigmented and it's pretty, but like you take it a step further because of your background in Urban Decay and like you know what goes into product development, why things look more shiny, why things feel more creamy, why things are better for your skin and and everything. I think that's really cool. So can you take us a little bit back to your urban decay days? Like tell us, tell us a little bit more because it's always intriguing to me and I always feel like I hear something new every time you talk about it. (laughs) Um, I mean, I was there at a time when the brand was experiencing a really exciting boom. Like the brand had already found its legs in terms of being like that cult status where people just loved the brand and wanted people to know that they were fans of the brand and it had that really like beauty junkie following. It's like, if you love makeup, you love this brand. So that obviously made it really fun. And we had such a nice core that I felt like we were able to play a lot and we didn't have to like overly prove why we were launching something. We just got to lead by the gut a lot, which I really liked too there. It was just kind of like, we knew who we were. We were very authentic to the brand and we could let our gut lead a lot of the time. Um, and I felt like we were really close to who the consumer was. So we knew what she, we, I mean, most of the time, you know, we felt like we knew what she would like cause she was just like us. So for me, that made it really, um, organic when I was developing product. It was a really lively environment. It was really stylized. Um, Wendy, our founder had a really strong vision for what the brand was, how it looks, how it feels. You know every little piece of it and so she made the office just this environment that you just kind of walked into another world which was very cool and we were also dedicated to it and we were like a big brand but there weren't that many of us 
doing the brand. So I loved that too because we were crazy nimble. We could launch things fast. We could make decisions quickly. And yeah, How it was dog friendly. How many people worked at Urban <laughs> Decay when you came on to Urban Decay? I feel like there were probably around like maybe like 60 of us at the time. So that's kind of like a Borboletta when you came on. Yeah, it wasn't huge. I mean, we kept our teams pretty slim, which I liked a lot. Like, you got to work on everything. It wasn't like, oh, you need to make a shade label, hand it off to this other person. Like, we got to just fold all of it into PD. And, but we had enough people to get stuff done. We didn't feel like we were bare bones. And we had the success of the brand to do things we wanted to do. We had the demand for the brand to do. So, I really think it was the best of both worlds. It didn't feel huge yet. But we weren't small. We were like a really big brand that people loved. So it was a really fun time to be there. And it kind of like we were on a roll. It just felt like everything we did was a hit. I mean, I know, of course, there were things that weren't a hit. But it was like people just got excited about every single thing we did. And it just made it so fun as a developer to just push yourself. And the response was so inspiring. And it was just a really fun time to be at that brand, I think. Like we were still the rule breakers. We were still... The rebel brand a little bit. I love that we could be edgy and we could just kind of be really wild and free. And was Urban in Sephora when you started? Oh yeah, we have been in Sephora a while. So when I started, we were in the top five. When I left, we were number one. Wow. Yeah, Jeez. and that was crazy. <laughs> like Not I'm enough. sure Wendy never dreamed that that would be a reality when she was making nail polishes out of her little garage in Laguna Beach. You know, it was incredible what she did with that brand and. It was incredible to watch it cross over to a bigger audience and become like a household name, even though it was still kind of wild and it was super fun. So I feel like everybody that I know owns a naked palette. Do you own a naked palette, Didi? <laughs> Didi, yeah. it's not a trick question. <laughs> She's so scared. I don't wear eyeshadow. I was not in the beauty industry like at all before I started working at Borboletta. I got like an Ipsy back subscription. So any makeup brand I know is like from there. <laughs> Perfect. And you know I love Glossier, mm-hmm. but like beyond that, I don't know a lot about cosmetics. <laughs> I just feel wow, like... Wow, Dee that's very personal. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such a disappointment. Well, I want to know... We could have been so much better if you would have bought it, Dee <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I want one now. Selfish. Just kidding. What was, what was Urban like before the Naked Palette, during the Naked Palette, and after the Naked Palette? So before, at least when I was there, like I said, we were doing really well. We had products selling out. You know, we were doing well. But I think it was like on this nice trajectory where there was like energy, people were watching the brand, it was right on the cusp. So the timing of Naked Palette couldn't have been better because we had eyes on us and there was enough energy behind us that to launch something that appealed to that many people, it was like, you know, it was just like throwing gasoline on it. Yeah, it was just magic. It was like, all right, now we're getting somewhere, now we're really appealing. So. I think the biggest change was just like we went from a brand that a lot of people loved to like a household name. Like we all of a sudden, you know, your mom, your like aunt, all these people were like, oh, you work at that brand. Yeah. Can you get me one of those palettes where before they were like, that, that name sounds so disgusting. Like, <laughs> so it was just cool Airbnb to suddenly cross over to where it was really kind of mass in that sense without having to give up piece of who we were and then after naked 
then I think like the pressure was on. That's for sure. It was uh, like, keep doing that. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know how to keep doing that. And that's like one of the things I think I've maybe brought back to Borboleta in a way where you're like, you, you, some things you can't duplicate and it's okay. Like every brand has those, you know, just really nice, like Smashbox still makes that primer, that photo finish primer. You know what I mean? Who and that have it? still brings home the bacon for them. Right. So it was, but it definitely became one of those core products. And then we started to develop out a range, like almost like a sub brand of Naked. Um, but it definitely gave us the like muscle to start kind of almost like writing our own script a little bit, which made it really, really fun. And then it just got so huge and it's gotten even so much more huge since I've been there. I mean, it's just like such a behemoth now. I'm sure it's like a totally different company <laughs> than it was when I was there, but yeah, it was like working at a little brand and then getting to work at a bigger brand at the same company. Like, I feel like it was all in different phases. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I always am like, yeah, I feel like I had three different jobs in a sense. Cause there was like before naked, after naked. And then after we were purchased by L'Oreal, which was also a whole different deal. So I kind of enjoy it. Cause it's like you had different perspectives and you know, all that. I think we got sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> we were, I was supposed to talk about how <laughs> I got to Borboleta. <laughs> Well, we'll get there. <laughs> Kim has a path. Kim asked the question, but she's not sure. <laughs> Let's see how she wiggles her way back over to that. Well, <laughs> I mean, you've seen a brand go from like zero ur- to a hundred real quick. Yeah, like <laughs> Urban Decay, sixty employees, pre-naked palette. Like it was in Sephora, but it wasn't a household name. And then you watched it become a household name and be purchased by L'Oreal, and like. You've seen all these huge developments of a, of a company. So how do you go from, like, why would you ever leave a company, I guess? Like, why would you ever leave Urban Decay, one of the most coveted jobs in the makeup industry? Whatever made you bounce into something like lash extensions when you're in kind of the mecca of the beauty world? Well, I will say when I decided, when I had to sit in front of Wendy, our founder, and say, we're at the height of the boom of this business. I think I'm on a career path to, to be able to be like, you know, a major influence, hopefully on the brand. And I want to move back to Salt Lake City. So I'm going to leave. Like she, I remember her kind of looking at me and being like, Brooke, are you sure? Like delicately, are you sure this is going to make you happy? <laughs> like, you know? And at the time She's I was like, like maybe where's I'll... Salt Lake? Remind oh, me. Yeah, exactly. Is that just coming Iowa? from you? Okay. <laughs> are I was you like, okay. <laughs> maybe I'll, you know, go like work at my mom's gelato shop. Like I just really wanted a life change. And I remember just telling to Wendy, like, I don't know how to explain this, but I've changed. Like, the job hasn't changed. It's not about the brand. It's not about you. It's not about Amy, my amazing boss. It's, I have changed. I want different things now. I don't want to sit in traffic all day. I don't want to travel nonstop and never get to be home. I don't want to have a kid and not be able to ever see them. I I want a slower-paced life. I want for people to think a Kate Spade bag is fancy. Like, I want to just get out of this, and I want a different way of life. And I just felt like something was telling me I needed to like re, you know, reframe, I don't know, the whole environment. So that was kind of the reason for leaving there. It was funny because there's trapping in being somewhere that is coveted. You know, people are constantly telling you how good you have it. Yeah. And I did have it good and I'm so grateful for it. But my priorities and what I wanted to be, it just sort of shifted overnight a little bit. 
So I came back here mostly to be my family and even now going to Sunday dinners with my family I view as this luxury where I'm like, yep, hop in my car and I see my nieces and my nephew every single week. Mm-hmm. And if I miss my mom, I go, I drive for five minutes and I go see her. And for me, that's been very grounding and really like, I don't know, it's just kind of brings you back to center. But anyway, to get back on topic. So I was at this beauty packaging company, really enjoying it. And then our person in charge of HR found me on LinkedIn and called me and I had never heard of Borboletta because I didn't really know what lash extensions, I knew what they were, but right. I had never gotten them. I didn't. It just wasn't really in my purview. And I remember kind of being like, why do they want me? I don't know anything about this industry. Why would they even call me? Let me give you some backstory to that. <laughs> I'll tell you why Borboletta wanted you. <laughs> so we were at this pivotal point in Borboletta where it's like, I'm the product developer, the founder of the company, and I only know so much. I've never worked for a company where you develop products. I've never changed an industry overnight like you changed Urban Decay overnight. And I got to the point where I talked to our CEO, Dave, and I was like, Dave, I can churn out products all day long. If you want a lash pillow, I can give you a lash pillow. (laughs) But we need somebody in here that's going to look at our industry and say, here's something that the industry's never seen before and give it a whole new fresh perspective. But I didn't know who that person was. And I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to find that person or that this person was so rare, but I knew that our company needed an expert product developer and the lash industry is so new. You don't see product developers in the lash industry, right Brooke? Yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of founders do the work and maybe a lot of lash artists do the work, which don't get me wrong, like you need the expertise to do it. Absolutely. I could not do what I do without our crazy team of insiders and educators who get on the ground and test it because, you know, I can't test it. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a different ball of wax. But I thought, well, might as well go see what the deal is. I went on your Instagram and I was like, oh, this lady looks fancy as hell. (laughs) This lady looks fancy. I was like, whoa. That's I think back like, in the day when I was pretending to be someone I wasn't. You're like, then you met me and you're yeah, like, she's like, casual as hell. What a lifestyle. <laughs> I it's remember so I looked at your Instagram before I went to work too. Before I, before I had my interview too. I told Craig like at one, I think it was at maybe like the second interview, but I was like, look, your wife's obviously living an extremely dope lifestyle. And he goes, my wife is very dope. In all seriousness, he's like, she's the dopest. Like, oh, he was so cute. Thanks. Oh, he was like, Craig, she Shout is dope. Shout out to Craig. But, so me yeah, and Craig are wearing the same shirt today. Oh, yeah. Wait. <laughs> me and Craig. You are? Is he wearing it with a blazer? Yeah. I love when he does that move. He's like, firstly committed to the brand. Our Define Beauty shirts. Second every, committed to being dressed up. Every Friday, you can catch our office in a Define Beauty underscore t-shirt. <laughs> Dee Dee wears hers in crop top form. Craig wears his in a blazer. <laughs> no, really it was a crop top. Taking it to the next level. Craig's he was wearing, wearing a crop, crop top. top. I'm just kidding. He's probably wearing my <laughs> shirt then. I'm just he just grabs it on the go. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> so, yeah, you guys, uh, Brett called and I looked at the Instagram and I was like, oh, I don't know, this looks kind of interesting. Why not? Did you think I was a crazy founder? Yeah. Okay. For sure. That's I fair. mean, that's a given, right? Like, I just thought it's not normal for people who look that polished and who are that beautiful 
to and ha start their own brand to not be an asshole. I'm sorry, it's just not common. So I was like thinking, hmm, I don't know, but yeah, let's give it a try. You were try. like intrigued. I was. We I was thought like, the hmm. same thing about you though. We we're like, it's not normal from someone like somebody from LA who developed the naked palette that lives in Salt Lake all of a sudden to not be a totally just egotistical asshole that's going to want to come and work at our little company and not make all these demands. Wow, all these So we came into it with a lot of right? on both We sides. both were like, we don't know. We're ready to clash. <laughs> well, I was like, okay, you know what? Let's go check it out. Let's just see what's up. I'm never one to turn down an opportunity because you always have to know what's out there. So Career I advice in. plug? I yeah. was watching the front desk. You were? When, uh, I think when you had your interview. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just remember walking in and I'm like, oh, this is very pretty lobby. <laughs> and I was kind of like, okay, here's the deal though. These women seem very polished and very beautiful. And I don't know this industry. And the bottom line is that I have, I guess, my own brand of Brooke that's not exactly that, you know? And I was like, okay, they told me to bring a bag of makeup that I had developed and talk about it. But for me, I was like, all right, if that's what I'm doing, I'm all good. I've done this a million times. And when I start talking about product, it, it go into a totally different headspace. It's just, it's like you're in the <laughs> Don't flow. Don't let me get in my zone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just easy to talk about, right? Because you love it and you put so much of your heart into it and you have all these opinions about it. And so I feel like that's when the interview really started flowing. Once they were like, show us some stuff that you made. It was like this. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't let me forget about this and this and this. That's when so, I came into the interview because yeah. originally you were meeting with our head of education and our head of HR and I remember I just got pulled into the conference room and there's Brooke Durth who I'd kind of heard like, hey, we're interviewing this woman that used to do product at Urban Decay and I was like, we'll never land her. <laughs> but then I heard that you were here and I got pulled into your interview and I remember just being completely enthralled by everything you were like, yeah, like here's a palette that I did at Urban, like here's a foundation I did here. Like I looked at your Instagram. It looks like you have a pretty kick-ass life. And I was like, who is this woman? <laughs> like she's amazing. Felt like a little bit of a spaz in the interview because once I start going on and on about product, I do get really excited. And I think after I met the group too, and just started to feel the vibe of the brand, I kind of had a flip where I was like, why don't you take this seriously? I think I want this job where at first it was just like kicking tires and then all of a sudden it flipped <laughs> and I was like, oh, I need to straighten up a little bit. <laughs> and I was like so excited. I just felt like I was probably coming off a little bit unhinged, but it, you know, for me, I also kind of feel like, well, this is definitely Brooke Dearth all day or day. So this is just the deal. And I just really like the vibe. And then once I started really thinking about it and learning about the industry, I was just so inspired by how much growth potential there is in this industry. Makeup is amazing, but it is very blown out. It was really saturated. You've got all these young guns coming in super strong. You've got brands that make a lip gloss for $7. It's every bit as nice as the $25 lip gloss, right? It is saturated. It's exciting, but it's kind of, you know, it's been there, done that a little bit. And so with lashing, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a brand new industry. They haven't even begin to, begun to take this where it could go. These products are great, but I know I could do some different things with them. And so I was just really excited to bring some of the stuff that I had learned from cosmetics and bring it into this brand new industry and try to push it a bit. Don't get me wrong, I was intimidated because I'm like, I don't know this. I don't know this. I don't even know how 
a set of lashes is done. I've never even had them. But I also, more than anything, just felt like I could help. Mm-hmm. And I liked the people, and I liked the energy and the vibe, and I liked the brand. And I just felt like, yeah, this is going to be a really cool new phase in my career where I can hopefully help push this brand into like the next phase and the next like sophistication level and you know all that so that's how I ended up coming over and I really thought the group was fun I was like these people are interesting even though Dave was trying to be tough (laughs) the bad cop and I was like well (laughs) he seems a bit uptight but he also has some LA roots he has LA roots and then Craig was just like after the interview, don't leave her without giving me a hug. And I was like, what is your game, friend? Why would he you give me a no hug? Game. <laughs> and he was like, do you need some snacks His game before is just you love. Yeah. He has no game Craig's space. Game is I'll tell you that much. Craig's game is love. Yeah. All he needs is love. Because I remember like my friend, I called him after the interview and I was like, I don't know. I think I want this job. And I don't know if they liked me. And I'm telling him the story and he's like, one of the founders gave you a hug on the way out. I'm pretty sure you'll get the job. I was like, I don't know. Now that I know Craig, though, I'm like, he does hug everyone, and that does not mean you will get the job. <laughs> yeah. He's just got hugs to give. Three <laughs> hugs. So that's how I ended up moving on over. Oh. So, wait, real quick. We are at an hour right now. Time flies. So we can cut out some of that. At Obviously, least. there's a lot. There's like probably like five minutes. A couple diversions. Out. But just, just so you know. Noted. Right. So... Brooke, I think one of the coolest things here is something that I didn't realize in product development was how long things take. Cause I'm I'm a person where it's like if I want something, I'm just gonna churn it out, get it up, get it out there really quick, cause I believe in it. And one of the biggest things I learned from you is product development takes R and D. It takes a lot of time, and that's something that you've definitely infused in Borboletta. So you started about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. at Borboletta. And at first when you started, like founder to, you know, me talking to you as a founder and saying when you were like, hey Kim, what do you want in, in Borboletta? I was like, I want products. I want newness, newness yeah. in the industry quickly. And you were like, okay, I can do that. That's not a problem for me. But then when you started telling me how long it took you to develop things at Urban Decay from top to bottom, I changed my perspective. So... Can you give us a little realization, like how long did it take, for example, like the Naked Palette from start to finish? I'm sure the Naked Palette, I can't remember exactly, but I would say at least two years. Wow. And then products like a foundation could have been two to three years even. And that's, we were actually known as having a shorter timeline. Wow. Um, I just think that finding stock formulas and launching them doesn't take any time. And finding a stock pack and throwing a logo on it does not take any time. That's... Absolutely right, but it's not what makes product that people are obsessed over. It makes product they like, and that's good. But and the thing is too, like it doesn't happen a lot in our industry. But that, but why can't it happen in our industry? Like, okay, I'm okay with watching other brands launch stuff quicker. I'm personally okay with it because I've seen what happens when you make something that's truly groundbreaking and exciting and has that must-have level of excitement and how that can just endear people to the brand. And so I I think I had a little bit more hindsight about it than you did because I'm like, it's okay, Kim, I promise. Like, and don't get me wrong, you know, I have my moments of doubt where I'm like, Kim, I have no idea what I'm doing this. (laughs) This is a mistake. (laughs) But in general, I mean, like 
I don't know. For me, I've seen what comes out of doing it right and taking the time and making it special. And those little details that slow up your timeline, but that those little details that make it feel so much better in your hand or that make it dispense so much better or that that does make the biggest difference of everything. And, you know, I had to just believe like, okay, I think this is all going to be worth it. I think I know what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, I don't really know a different way to do it. I've never been at a brand where you could just churn stuff out and people would like it. So it's kind of one of those where this is what I do and I believe it's going to work, but I just kind of have to believe in like what I think is the best thing and hope that it actually comes out the way I want it to. But um, yeah, I definitely think that that's one of the things that hasn't really been pushed that much in our industry is doing custom development and designing things from scratch and taking a little bit more time. But I'm really excited to see the response that we get for some of these things that we've taken more time on. You know, I hope that it's as good as I think, um, but we'll see. <laughs> so something I know, you can't say specifically the products that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Obviously we understand that, but can you at least tell us <laughs> the baby is up yeah. and Minnie is we've going got a to greet him. <laughs> Minnie's, Minnie's like, I'm going to go see the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing goes past Rafe. He's like, I know you're down there. <laughs> it's snack time. <laughs> What are one of the things you're most excited about for the lashes industry in general that you know you've, you're making an impact for? Um, so I would say I'm most excited about elevating packaging, I think, in general, because it's you kind of know what you see. And right now, a lot of our industry uses stock packaging, which is completely fine, and that's the standard. But I'm kind of excited to make like Sephora worthy packaging for our industry because I think that the lash artists want to also feel like they have something that they want to leave out on their counter for people to see and they want their clients to see it and okay it looks like an eyeshadow palette but there's something else in it I love that so that's what I'm really excited about is just elevating the way that the packaging looks like for sure the formulas too but I think just because the packaging right now is more, feels a little bit more B2B. I'm excited to make it feel more consumer. Yeah. And I remember that was one of our first conversations that we ever had. Like you might not even, even officially started, but we were just chatting and, and you were like, Kim, what's your ultimate goal with Borboletta? And I remember saying like, Brooke, anything that comes out of Borboletta needs to look like it can sit on the shelf at Sephora. Yeah. And I think people will kind of downplay that and be like, well, it's B2B. It's a beauty supply. But, okay, that's true. I get it. That's a reality. But, but I still want her to be psyched about it. Yeah, why does B2B have to be boring? Exactly. Boring to boring. I mean, <laughs> why can it be beautiful to beautiful? <laughs> yeah. I mean, our artists are beauty junkies, too. You know, yeah, a lot of them have come from different industries. Right. We're consumers are, and we're creators. For sure. Like, you're I'm obviously drawn. Yeah, that's right. You're drawn to the luxe aesthetic. I see the way these salons look, and I want the product to sit in there and loud and proud to be out and viewed and beautiful. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So I think, Brooke, your whole story is so intriguing, and there's a lot of things that we haven't even touched on about your professional career. I think we probably should have Brooke back on. <laughs> we have to come back. <laughs> you could hear like every crazy skateboarding story could for at least an hour or more. And why uh, skateboarding? 
Oh, because I started working in skateboarding. <laughs> From skateboarding to urban Hashtag to bring a skate ramp to Borboletta 2K19. Coming or soon. Or 2K20. I'll yeah, wait. Probably 20. We'll wait for that. I'll wait. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot to cover here, and I think that this is kind of a to-be-continued um, topic. Of course, product development is usually people's favorite to talk about, but... Um, I think, you know, one last thing to touch on here on today's episode is, Brooke, you've obviously had a really dynamic career. You've done some really innovative, amazing things at Urban Decay, which now the world uses that innovation that, that you've been able to put forward. You're bringing a lot of that to Borboletta. So in your career, what's some of the best career advice you've, um, you can give to, to those out there that are wanting to expand in their professionalism? I think my advice is not very professional and it's probably different than most advice that young people get about their career that I am not really a begin with the end in mind kind of person when it comes to my career. I have never set out to do A, B, and C or had a five-year plan. I What I've tried to do is only work at places I think are fun that I'm inspired by. I'm really privileged to have never had to work in an industry or company that I wasn't really personally tied to. And I think that's what makes things come so easy is when you are the consumer, you can understand the consumer and you're close to it and you're excited about it. That takes like half the stress away from any job because you're just in an environment you're hyped about. So I think it's okay to just put yourself in the place and let the stuff follow. It's okay to not have a plan exactly where you plan to go. And I want to be in this position by this time and making this much money by this time. and. Yeah, you. I don't think that it has to be so calculated to get where you want to go, but you have to be eager, you have to be there, and you have to show up and be excited, and you have to be in your flow. But I think it's okay to just kind of be there and be ready, be helpful, and then let things unfold as they may. I really think that that gets you where you want to go, because I never had a plan, and I still don't ever have a plan. Like, I try to be... Um, I don't know, like I try to just be there and speak up when I see something that doesn't make sense and then I wait and see where that takes me. So that's probably my biggest advice is just like be eager, be helpful, be excited, and but be in the right place because you can be all those things and if it's not a company that you're feeling super passionate about, it doesn't really matter where you go in that company. You're never going to have fun and if you're not having fun, you're not going to be good at what you do. So I think that's probably my number one and I've heard people say like, oh, your career just came so easy to you. And that I just kind of laugh about because it probably looks easy from the outside because I'm not that strategic planner that's always stressing out about what I'm going to get out of something, how I'm going to get to the next thing. I just have that faith that if I do a good job and if I offer like my talents that it'll work out. Um, so that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is that people really focus up on networking and meeting people for this certain purpose and what you can get out of every interaction you have. So I do agree that you should always be making friends, but I don't think you should have some big motivation behind it. Um, you never, like, it's it's not like, oh, I may need you in the future, so I should be nice to you. Yeah. But I think there are interesting people everywhere, especially if you're in an industry that you like. So for me, like, if I went to a beauty brand and I met some other product developer that I thought was really cool, I won't name, but one of them was like, oh my gosh, you're refurbing decay. I always loved the Cannonball waterproof mascara. So what I do, 
I, you know, I called my friends, I got some mascara and I sent it to her because it's like, she was a fan. She was cool. We were like-minded. Did I have something to gain from that? No, but I love to make friends in the industries I'm in everywhere I go. And I love to put people that I think are fun and dynamic sort of like in my mental Rolodex. And I'm always thinking I had such a blast with that person. And when you get to know people personally and you have so much fun with them, you can't wait to work with them again. And then you never know when the opportunity comes up where you're like, I mean, I'm sure if, if we all took a shot every time I said, I have a friend who blah, 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 <laughs> we would all be drunk all day because all that's all I'm ever saying. <laughs> and I'm sure people are like, oh my God, she's so full of shit. But it's like, I have, I do try to keep in touch with all the friends that I have known throughout my career. And it's not for some gain, but there's nothing cooler than being like, oh my gosh, I have a chance to work with her again. I got to bring her into this project. And it's not only about your friends and like one hand washing the other. It's not even like that. It's like people that you know have a really good energy together. You bring them back in because then you create the best stuff. So like we were, you know, talking about peer agencies the other day. And I had a friend who works at an agency in London. And we used to sit there and do press junkets at Urban Decay for like nine hours a day. And while we were in between these press meetings, we would just talk about our lives and our significant others and where we were trying to go and what products we liked and yeah could I have just like been in and out and not talking to anyone while I was there sure but wasn't mm -hmm. it so much more fun that we all just sat there and laughed and drank and just had the best time and like gosh by the end those last couple interviews really had deteriorated because by that time we were pretty buzzed <laughs> and we were all having a great time but it was so cool when we were talking about agencies and I was like yes I can call my friend oh my gosh I can work with I know she's amazing I know she's talented and beyond that, I can't wait to hear how she's doing. I can't wait to see her face again and hear her voice again. So I think um, making friends wherever you go. I know it sounds trite and silly, but in your career, like, be cool. Get to know people in other departments. Get to know people younger than you. Get to know people older than you. And don't do it for some purpose. Do it because it's more fun. And, I mean, there's nothing like having this network of badass chicks that you love that are all obsessed with makeup. And getting a chance to make cool shit again. And I love being able to call my friends and like, oh yeah, I'm not doing makeup anymore. I'm doing lash extensions. Will you help me with this project? And then they're like, oh, our brand or our company doesn't really work on lash extensions. Teach us about this. So now they're learning about my industry. I'm able to take what they know and it benefits Borboletta. But on top of it, I get to hang out with my friends again. So I think when it's organic and you're just having fun with people you love, nothing but good work comes out of that. It's so good for everybody and... You know, I think the key is just not to always be thinking about how things benefit you. Like, just be organic, be open, be cool, put it out there, and yeah, have fun. Surround yourself with other cool, badass chicks, and you know, be generous with that. Yeah, so. working with like-minded people has changed my life. Absolutely. Like, trust and believe. If I ever left Porbletta, there would be a time I would call Didi because oh, I have this friend who's a whiz at social media. I have this friend who. You know, Kim, who once she gets a bone in her mouth, absolutely never stops chewing on it because she won't let it go until she gets what she wants. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I can work with you on a project someday around that. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know what? Put yourself in the right place and be eager and open and like, don't always think about what you're going to get out of it. Just have fun. Enjoy and the ride. Enjoy the ride. Like, it's not even some big universal thing. It's just like... If you're having fun, people want to have fun with you, and then you make it work. Yeah. I think work isn't cool. always about work. Work now, to me, is about enjoying what I'm doing and, and with the people that I'm I'm working with. 
You know what they say, have passion. <laughs> success, success will follow passion. Yes. Ooh, that's true. Yes. I love that. Go ahead, Deeds. Last cue. You know what it is. <laughs> it's define to beauty. Right. <laughs> just I was going to try to do that thing where someone talks um, and you're I'm just actually like, really good at that. Do you want to do okay. it? Dee Dee, let's Can I really it. talk myself up? Be- Be- what beauty is. is. <laughs> do you think you're really good? <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> what bro? It would be a good skill, skill if, if we, we practice twice to the a week. week. We, we can, can do, do it. it. <laughs> okay. okay I'm like, okay. Maybe. <laughs> How do I define beauty? I think, like, probably very similar to what other people say. I just think beauty is when you are at a point in your life or a moment where you're able to just be your most authentic self. I just think like you're born with an authentic self and then somehow you talk yourself out of that not being good enough, not being what it's supposed to. But I do think your truest, true self inside is definitely the most beautiful. Like, you know, when I was trolling Kim's Kim's Instagram and I was like, so glamorous she's so cool she's so whatever she probably only eats kale salads with like a single chicken breast on it for every meal but then like I went to Italy with Kim and like you're overly tired from super long flights and you're like jet lagged and silly and just felt like I saw another side of her where I was like oh yeah Lee said she's even like better than I thought she was but it's that I feel like your true authentic self like down and dirty is the most beautiful it's what we're all meant to be at the core so i think when you can just kind of let all the influence from outside go let the self-consciousness go and just that's when things really flow and everything works out so so well so i think beauty is just being able to be your just most authentic down and dirty self it's the best i think oh, so too. baby crying oh baby in the background well come sit with me hello baby welcome <sighs> to define beauty you can you say, say hi no do you want some water yeah Okay. Oh, <laughs> he's parched. <laughs> Is it baby Chuck? <laughs> oh, so it's like he's never had water in his life. <laughs> Sorry. Mm, you funny? Are oh, you funny boy? Yeah. Yeah. Funny boy. So Brooke, I find you to be one of the most fascinating people that I've ever been able to work with and know. Um, and I'm really excited for the way that you're going to be able to elevate the lash industry. I think we'll definitely have you back on here too as as things progress. But thank you for being on the podcast today. Yeah, you are everything that you advocate to be. Authentic, cool, beautiful, in beauty a chill to way. beauty. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Brooke, for coming on and talking with us. If you like what you hear, we really appreciate it when you leave a review or when you subscribe or when you rate the podcast. Yay. <laughs> yeah um you can follow us on instagram at define beauty underscore barbaletta where you can also join in the conversation about the topics that we discuss every week you can follow kim at kimber janes and me at Didi manjar and barbaletta at barbaletta beauty <laughs> and yeah thank you and tune in next week thanks everyone say bye can you say bye nope no okay not today. Bye. he's not ready for that okay. can you wave can you say, can you say, can you say ciao? Ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella. No? Uh.
Okay. No. Ha, ha, ha.